Thanks, worship team. If, uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I'm very grateful to have you joining with us. Uh, I want to extend a special welcome to you if you are uh, newer with us or if maybe this is your first time or you haven't been here uh, for very long. I'm very glad to have you with us. If you're streaming online this morning, uh, grateful that you have that opportunity uh, when you are able. We'd love to invite you to join us in person. We believe that's a, a powerful thing. Uh, we hopeful, hopefully that for those of you that are here, uh, if you're a regular part of the Crossroads family, it's always just really good to see you. Uh, it's always good to be in the same room and to worship alongside you. If you're newer, uh, hopefully you feel more like family when you leave than when you came. So uh, hopefully that's, a, that's true for you. As we all already mentioned, Rosebell mentioned already that we're in this new series, uh, Sermon on the Mount. That we're going to take us all the way through the summer. If you haven't already gotten your journal, you're not going to offend me. If you want to jump up and go grab the journal, you can do that. There's also pens back there that you can use along the way. Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, so a couple things we're going to ask of you to do as we study together through this summer series is uh, it's come with your journals each week uh, with your pens if that's something that's going to be really helpful for you in your own life with Christ but also come with a Bible with you uh, if you have a digital one or if you have one in print I uh, invite you to come and bring that with you to take some notes circle some things that sort of deal if you don't have a Bible at home of your own we'd love to give you one so if that's the case for you just come up and let me know uh, and I can make sure that we get one to you uh, even this morning make sure that you have one before you leave but the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's, perhaps Jesus's greatest single teaching at one point uh, of how to live in the presence and the reality of God's good kingdom. As a church, as, as a body of believers, as a fellowship here at this place, our purpose is to invite people to apprentice themselves to Jesus. In, in other words, to learn from Jesus how to do their life the way that Jesus would do it if he were us. How to learn to live and to, be kind, to become the kind of person that would live an eternal kind of life both now and ready into the rest of eternity. So I'm really excited because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching about how to live this way. This is a central kind of teaching uh, for us to understand what it is that we're being called to do. What are the things that we are to do if we're to live eternally in God's kingdom? And Jesus teaches us how to live that way, centered in the Sermon on the Mount. And so you might be wondering, why did we choose to teach on the Sermon on the Mount. It's central to Jesus' message of the kingdom. Why do we choose to do it in the summer while people are vacationing and moving? And you may be here this week, but next week you're gone on vacation. You may be hit or miss. And so I don't do this very often, but I will tell you, if you're on vacation, stream the service because these are going to be really important things. If you happen to be uh, not able to stream, then catch up and watch the videos, go to our website. You can do that at all times because these are going to be foundational for us as we move forward, not only collectively, but individually. What does it look like for us to uh, live in the kingdom of God? And what is it that Jesus is teaching us how to live this way? Really good, important stuff. Rosebell mentioned that in the journal, there's uh, some books that I would recommend. Uh, if you are wanting to do a deep dive into some of these things, uh, I'll give you a couple of disclaimers on those books. I have my own personal copies are out in the lobby that you can look at uh, and you can kind of thumb through and do that stuff. We have cameras, so I will know if you take my copy, 
I will know you took my book. So don't take my book, but they are there for you to thumb through and look at. But I will give you a little bit of, uh, of talk about that. One of the books uh, is a book called Divine Conspiracy. It's a book by Dallas Willard. Many of us have read his uh, Renovation of the Heart book and have been doing that with our life groups. Uh, Divine Conspiracy is a thick and weighty book. So if you are one to really engage and slowly process and read and kind of reread and challenge yourself, that's a challenging book. Well done, very good book. I highly recommend it, but just know what you're getting into, right? It's a meaty kind of book. The other two books are more widely accessible uh, to more people. So those other books are are accessible and and very good for you to kind of go there. Well, Dallas opens up his book on Divine Conspiracy by telling a parable of a woman who is doing some jet fighter uh, maneuvers, which I understand, I, I know, Top Gun is available. If you have not seen this glorious movie yet, you need to go see it like today. It is fantastic. Maybe even better than the first one, if I could even say that. It hits, hits all the feels and all the emotions. All right, this is not a sermon about Top Gun, but it is a good movie. You should go see it. Anyway, he starts off this book, Dallas does, with uh, speaking of a woman, a pilot, jet pilot, who's making all these jet maneuvers, all these maneuvers in the jet plane, and for some reason or other, she somehow uh, gets to the spot where she's unaware that she's flying upside down because of the G-forces, because of things happening. She's unaware of the fact that she's flying upside down. So when she turns the controls to make a steep ascent, instead of ascending, she crashes right into the ground. And it's a parable, Dallas says, it's a parable for the human condition. And while many people, and not everyone is crashing immediately, most of us live at very high speeds, maneuvering one way or another, trying to navigate through this world, and we aren't even sure if we're flying up, right side up or right side or upside down. And oftentimes, people are living, and they're thinking they're living right side up, but they're really living upside down. And when they make a decision to go, and they don't quite realize that this decision to fly your life this way can lead to a crash pretty easily. And we see it all around us, do we not? We see people who are striving to live this good life, this life that God has created us. We see people living with all sorts of variable uh, priorities and values and everything else, but they're flying upside down. They don't even realize it until one day everything falls apart and it just crashes before their very eyes. Dallas says, among all the gloom and among all the despair whether we're, un- we're unsure whether or not we're flying right side up or upside down, Dallas reminds us in his book and through the Sermon on the Mount that there's a light that glimmers. There's a light that glimmers for we are invited to a life with God right now, right now. And God promises a wholeness for our life. God promises a life where he can begin to bring about eternal qualities in us, the kind of life that you and I were made to live. There's a light in the midst of the gloom. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us how to live in light of the reality of God's kingdom and the reality of the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins this public ministry, this teaching, by talking about the announcing or the availability of this kingdom. 
He says that the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. It's available to you. And here, right at the very beginning, we need to understand something, that when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, those are interchangeable phrases, but when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not primarily speaking about where you go when you die, although that's part of it. He's not specifically or exclusively speaking about a place you go, a destiny. He's speaking about the place where the goodness and the holiness that God desires to happen is currently happening right now. Where the abundance of joy and peace and fullness is experienced right now. And the announcement that Jesus comes along announcing, the good news that he comes to say about the kingdom is that that place where God's goodness and wholeness and fruitfulness is happening right now is available for you to live in right now. And that is the good news. Dallas writes it this way. He says, The call for us is to reconsider how we have been approaching our life in light of the fact that we now, in the presence of Jesus, have the option of living within the surrounding movements of God's eternal purposes of taking our life into his. See, the truth is that you and I are eternal beings. The destiny with God's, in God's good universe. The question isn't will you live for eternity. The question is what kind of life will you live? What kind of life will you experience And so the invitation to us is to reconsider how we've been approaching our life in light of the fact that life with God in his surrounding presence is available to us right now to reevaluate and reconsider what it means to live the good life and to really live right side up. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us, all of us, to a way of living to learn to live from him, to learn to live his way and find ultimate purpose, fulfillment, what our hearts long for, what we desire. This is what he's teaching us to do, to do what it is right that we would live right side up. Friends, you and I are eternal spiritual beings with a destiny in God's good universe. The question is not, will you live for eternity? The question is, what kind of life will you live? What kind of life will you experience? Jesus tells us in this Sermon on the Mount. And on this sermon, he covers, again, Matthew 5 through 7. This morning, we're just going to look at the first part of chapter 5. And we'll go take them step by step and make our way all the way through. Follow along in your journal with the reading plan. I encourage you to do that. You'll read through the Sermon on the Mount a couple times through the summer. But this, for this morning, we're just going to look at the beginning. How does Jesus begin an invitation to this kind of life, this kind of teaching of where we can go? So if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open to Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to look at the first few verses together this morning. We'll see what God can teach us, uh, or he can follow along on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Okay, let's stop there for a second. 
there's a couple of things I want you to recognize about this summer series about the Sermon on the Mount that are important for us. That Jesus comes up on the mountainside, he sees the crowds that are gathered around him, and then his disciples come near to him, and he begins to teach them. So the first thing we need to recognize and understand about the Sermon on the Mount, but about our life under, under Christ, is that Jesus is our teacher. If we're going to learn to live our life in the way that is of eternal quality, Jesus is our teacher. Now Jesus is our Savior, for His death and His resurrection has made a way for our sins to be forgiven and life with God to be experienced right now. But we not, in this little portion here, we're not only to see Jesus as our Savior, but we are to see Jesus as our teacher. And so as you study His life, you don't just see Him healing people and doing the miraculous and then just kind of sliding into His own room and st- staying away, but he's desi- His desire is to teach people how to actually live an eternal quality kind of life under the understanding that the availability of the kingdom of God is right at hand, right near you, accessible. Jesus, if we're going to live our eternal life the way that we were meant to, then Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is our teacher. Then the next thing to consider is, are you listening? Are we listening? Do you believe that Jesus has anything to offer you about how to run your life? About how to be the spouse that your spouse needs? About how to be the employee that your boss needs? About how to be the boss that your employees? Do you believe that Jesus has anything to offer you? See, until your vision of Jesus captures or captivates him as being the smartest person to ever live, the one who knows best about how to live eternally your life, then growth in the spiritual life and growth in your Christian walk will always be hindered at best or even hampered. And the eternal life that God has called us to live, the called life that that your soul desires, well, it will just be out of reach because you'll be doing it on your own. And you won't be sure if you're flying right side up or upside down or what's driving you or what values and where to turn and where to know. If Jesus is our teacher, are you listening to him? Do you believe that he has the best knowledge about being the kind of employee or the kind of life that you have? Are you listening? Does he have your undivided attention? Or are you listening to others? So if you're going to learn to listen to Jesus, you're going to need to intentionally decide that Jesus is your teacher. You need to learn to submit to him as your teacher. And he's not trying to keep the secrets of eternal living to himself. He's not trying to keep them like a secret hidden in some little vault. But he sits down. He sees the crowds gathering around. The disciples come near. He sits down and he begins to teach them about how to actually live in light of the fact that the kingdom of heaven is available to you, how is it that you can actually live right now? To live right side up and to not be caught upside down. And to understand this, we have to understand the basic relationship between student and teacher. And I recognize I'm, teach, I'm, I'm speaking this morning and many of you are teachers in one way, shape, or another. But a basic relationship between a teacher and a student is to say that the teacher believes that the student can actually learn to do the things that the teacher is teaching. 
right? The teacher has to believe that this students can actually learn what they are teaching and then can actually put them into practice. It is possible for you to learn these things. This is what we talk about when we invite you to apprenticeship to Jesus, to be Jesus's student, to learn from him, to learn to do your life the way he would do it if he were you. The first thing I want us to consider this morning is Jesus is our teacher. And, and not just any teacher, right? For if you've been around for a little, little bit, you'll remember a few weeks ago, we just finished the book of Hebrews. Incomparable. Where Jesus stands head and shoulders above any and everybody else. He's not just one of many teachers. He's the teacher. The one with full knowledge about how to live an eternal quality life in, rea in the reality of the kingdom of heaven right? So Jesus is going to be our teacher here. We have to decide that he knows what's best about the critical questions of life, about how to actually really live. And when we do that, then you and I will sit at his feet and we will seek to put into practice what he's teaching us to do, to be obedient, to do what he teaches, to do what he says. But it all starts with the question, is he my teacher? Is he my teacher? Am I learning from him how to live right side up? Or have I just relegated him to be my savior, to forgive my sins and hopefully give me a place in eternity when I die? But has he become my teacher? Has he become my teacher? And if he is my teacher, I lean in and I listen to what he's going to say. And this is what he does in the Sermon on the Mount. And right at the very beginning, he teaches and he lets us know, his students, who's really well off. Where does blessing really come from? And this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In our world, we've defined blessedness or where blessing comes from. We kind of know what that means. Because in our culture, in our world, to be blessed is someone who has an education or someone who's got a good health or has a home, has a job, maybe has a spouse or children, or you can maybe add some other things to the list, right? And those are all indeed good things and indeed a blessing to have. It's a blessing to have good health. It's a blessing to have a house to live in. It's a blessing to have a spouse and to have children and to have an education and have all those things. For sure, those are good and a blessing. But the inadvertent message that is sent sometimes is that if you don't have one or more of those things, then somehow you are less blessed. If you're not married by 25 then you're less blessed than the one who was married at 21. If you don't have children, then you're less blessed than someone who has children. If you don't have a house you're renting, you don't own, then you're not as blessed. Somehow, the inadvertent message as portrayed in our culture is if you want to get the blessing, if you want to be really blessed, you got to get all of these things that are on the list. And if you don't have one or more of those things, the way you get blessed is you go after get more of those. Get more education, get another house, get another thing, get another something, whatever it is. But you have to fill that obligation to somehow be really blessed, right? And in the church, and by this I don't necessarily mean crossroads, I mean historically the church, religious people have also done the same thing. That they have come up with a list of things where if you really want to be blessed by God, 
If you really want God's blessing, if you really want to be one of his really good children, these are the lists of things that you do. And the inadvertent message is if you don't do one of these things or more of these things, then you really don't have God's blessing. And you should try harder next time. And it's a weight, a burden on people's shoulders. In Jesus' day, when he's starting this sermon, the religious leaders of his day had a very similar list of things that they said, if you really wanted God's blessing, this is how you get it. You would be religious, religiously devout, showing up to the temple all the time, that you wouldn't fraternize with those scoundrels over there. Men were always more blessed than women. Those that don't socialize with those kind of places, those are all really blessed people. And that burden, that weight on the, play, on the shoulders of people was a heavy thing for them to carry. Most people walked around with this under-the-surface understanding that they just weren't blessed. They weren't blessed. And that just what it, is what it was. And Jesus comes and he announces the availability of the kingdom of the heavens. The kingdom of God is accessible to you right now. And he begins right away with describing who's really blessed. Who's really well off. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 and following. It says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus sees the crowds around him, his disciples come near him. He begins to teach about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God, about how to live. And it begins with understanding where blessing comes from. Who's really well off? And he begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit or the spiritual zeros. These are folks that didn't grow up in church. They don't know the first thing about what a flannel graph is or what we used to call sword drills and being able to grab your Bible and flip through it really quickly. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are those who are mourning, those who have just lost something that was close to them and they now have to learn to live without it. God says you're blessed. Blessed are the meek, the, those that get unnoticed and overlooked. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake. Those that are the whistleblowers who stand up against the corporation and against the company, but now everyone turns on them and all the media focus goes on them and it turns on them. This is not a list that Jesus is saying that you necessarily would want to be on. And it certainly wasn't the kind of list that the religious leaders would have said is actually blessed. It's not a list that we would elevate and say this is something to model your life after. Now there are some people that read the Beatitudes and you maybe have been one of them, have read the Beatitudes and take about, well, these are the things that Christians should aspire to. 
to, to aspire to hunger and thirst for righteousness, aspire to be meek, because this is what we ought to do. This is who we are to be. In order to be blessed, because blessed are the poor in spirit. So we need to recognize that we're poor in spirit. That way we can get blessed. And we turn the Beatitudes into a legalistic list about the ways in which we get God's blessing. But when we do that, we misinterpret Jesus. And we misinterpret what he's meaning in the Sermon on the Mount. And we misinterpret all of what is written in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Because he's, if that was the case, he's just exchanging one legalistic list of religious leaders for another legalistic list. And it would be the, a weight of a burden on their shoulders. And it would be anything but good news. But that's not what Jesus is doing. It's not what he's doing at all. It's important to remember, again, that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is described here as not just some place that we go when we die. Because it's not really all that good news, is it? When someone has just lost everything and they're having to try and figure out how they're going to continue to live on. It's not really all that good news to come along to somebody and say, oh, well, cheer up because one day you're going to be blessed when you die. It's not good news. It's not hopeful. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that eternal life is accessible right now. It's precisely good news because in the midst of whatever conditions you find yourself in, whether they seem to be going good or they seem to be going down, whether you've just lost everything, you are blessed because God's presence is not far from you. It is right at hand. It is right near. And it is accessible for you to live in right now. Now that... That is good news. That is something we're celebrating. Dallas says it this way. The good news of the kingdom is that no one is beyond being blessed because the rule of God from the heavens is available to all. Everyone can reach it and it can reach everyone. We respond appropriately to the beatitudes of Jesus by living as if it were so as it concerns others and as it concerns ourself. See, by proclaiming blessedness or blessed over those who in the human order of things are thought of as hopeless, Jesus opens up the kingdom of God, the accessibility of life with God. No matter your spiritual pedigree, no matter what you have done in your past or your history, for this is good news that life with God is available, the presence of God and we can learn to live our life under that reign. And that kind of good news, that kind of blessedness, well, that confronts our notion of being blessed, does it not? It's way too easy for me to think that I'm excluded from God's blessing because I didn't check whatever those boxes are so I can begin to feel like this world is hopeless. And I can cycle into a hopelessness that is never going to get any better. I, I, I don't know. I can't memorize the scripture like someone else can memorize the scripture. I don't know all those stories like someone else knows them. I don't have the, the spiritual background. I didn't grow up in a church. I don't have And I can begin to feel this hopeless weight that is pushed over top of me. On the other hand, I may live with some kind of level, a level of arrogance and pride because, well, I have checked off some of those things. I did grow up in a Christian home. I do know lots of Bible verses. I know all, this, all the verses in Christian songs. I do check all the right boxes. And so there's a temptation for people to begin to think, well, I've gained much of God's blessing. Look at how blessed I am. 
And on either way, whether I'm on the hopeless side or on the arrogance side, I miss the eternal kind of life that's available that Jesus gives us. Because true blessedness, true blessedness doesn't come by checking off all the right boxes or by having the right spiritual heritage or by having the right other anything else. True blessedness comes from receiving Jesus. That's a blessed life when we receive Jesus. And by this, I don't mean that I simply accept Jesus died for my sin. Well, that's extremely important, central even. But I mean that we receive him. We receive him. We trust him more than we trust the voices in our culture. We trust him more than we trust even our own voice. We're learning from him a way of living that is right side up, that may seem foreign, but we trust him. We are receiving him. See, there's a huge difference between acknowledging Jesus and submitting to Jesus. And and blessed life comes when we receive or submit to Jesus. And the clearest form of submitting to him is to learn to do what he teaches us to do to agree with Jesus. And so when we will see later in the Sermon on the Mount when he says to bless those who curse you, the real life, the blessed life is actually doing that. When he will tell us to let our yes be yes and our no be no, to live a life of integrity, that is true. And we learn to do what he's teaching us to do. Not just acknowledge it, but to receive him, to submit to him. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to teach us how to actually live. And then the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, on Matthew chapter 7, Jesus will say that, this, the, that the life of, uh, of this life of living in, under his deal is like a person who builds his house on a solid foundation. When the streams rose and the winds beat against the house and the rains come, that house will stand. But what's the difference? What's the difference? Anyone who hears these words of mine, he says, and puts them into practice. Puts them into practice. So the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describing what this good eternal life is really is, what it really looks like. And some people, for many people, just assume the life is just out of reach. Too lofty, this spiritual life is too lofty, too spiritual for someone like me, right? Again, think of Jesus as a teacher. For you teachers that are in the room, think about having a kid in your classroom or a young adult, college person in your classroom who is flunked every time. And they begin to think that they'll never succeed. I'll never learn how to do long division because that's hard. I'm never going to do whatever. I'll never learn that language and begin to feel hopeless and begin to feel, what's the teacher's primary job? You can do this. There's a bunch of people gathered around Jesus on this mountain who've begun to feel like they're never amount to anything in this life. They'll never amount to anything because they've missed out on God's blessing. They somehow missed that boat. 
And if you're honest enough and if I'm honest enough, there are times when we recognize that we don't qualify either. So what's Jesus' masterful teaching need to do right at the beginning? He sits down and he looks you in the eye and he looks me in the eye and he says, you can do it. Not because you checked the boxes, not because you got the prerequisite out of the way. You can do this because life with me is accessible right here. That's the good news. And that's the good news of the Beatitudes, the blessedness. That's the teaching. That's why Jesus said it the way he did. Because there's a whole mountainside of people who thought they were outside of God's blessedness. Jesus needed to remind them that your blessedness comes because no matter your circumstance, the presence of God is available to you. I hope you hear that this morning. Hope you understand that this morning. To kind of leave us this morning, I've got a question I want you to take with you. Something to kind of maybe start a, a spiritual conversation, maybe to kind of think of it a little bit. And that is this, how does God's definition of being blessed confront your notions about being blessed? How does Jesus' notion, definition of being blessed confront your notion about being blessed. And as we're going to go through this sermon this summer, what difference would it really make in your life if you began to actually believe that what Jesus teaches is actually possible? That what he teaches is good, is right, is the best. But what would a difference would it make when you come to his teaching and you began to trust him, receive him, submit to him, and you actually began to believe it's possible, yeah, even for you. That you can learn to love your enemy and pray for those who are persecuting you. You can learn to go the second and the third mile. You can learn to turn the other cheek when someone strikes you. Yes, you can learn to pray and you can learn to give your things away and be generous. You can learn to do these things. Yes, you can. And friends, when you do, you will find yourself flying right side up in the kingdom of heaven, available right now, the abundant, fulfilling, good life because Jesus is our teacher. For those of us that are honest enough to admit in our own life we feel less than qualified, friends, there's good news. There's good news. Life with God and his kingdom is not only accessible, it is possible when Jesus is your teacher, for he's a master teacher. Would you learn from him this summer? Would you put his words into practice this summer? And as you do, you may just well find the eternal life your soul has been longing for. Right? Let's pray together. And then the worship team will come and lead us. God, we are humbled and amazed for we know of what we are made of. We know the frailty. We know the mess ups. We know the times when we don't do things the way you would have us do them. And so we need grace. We need your strength and your power to teach us. And as we take small steps in the right direction, that you would multiply those. 
and that we would experience the eternal life in your good kingdom right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing uh, the song that we begin the service with this morning, and let's sing this out to God together.